I'm Ben James. I'm joined by Matt Southcombe on today's podcast. How you doing, Matt? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Good man, good man, good man. Just about getting through the day. Just about, mate. Just about. It's what it's all about. Digging when it gets tough. Absolutely. Actually, from the last part, I've, I've ended up doing a story inspired by our last podcast, so I'm sort of regretting it now. Inspired by your strong words about George North. Well, you know, take inspiration where you can find it, Benjamin. That's the name of the game in this job. Um, you never know when your next story is going to strike you or your next source of inspiration or where it's going to come from. I'm just happy that I was able to provide you with that spark what, wait, wait, wait till it's finished and published then we'll decide if it's inspiration or not uh, mate we've all got our opinions I would never I would never have got you for having your opinions or Simon for having his on the, on the last podcast that we did or, Andy maybe well yeah Andy, Andy might get a bit of stick for his opinions but yeah that's fair enough um we got a fair bit to discuss on this podcast. We got Mark Orders coming up later on to speak about the Ospreys because it's been a fairly quiet week down that way. <laughs> um, a few Wales players who have their contracts up mm. uh, next summer. We'll get onto that in a minute. Lions schedule was announced. I'm sure we'll get onto that as well. And plus, the regions are back in European action, so there's plenty to discuss. But let's touch on those Wales players whose contracts are up. So we've got Owen Williams, who's mm. um, up at next summer and Thomas Young two lads who have had caps in the last 24 months for Wales yeah. if they're going to have to come home if they want to get more really isn't it well this is it you know we, we await um, to hear the findings of the review into Wales's selection policy that was due to take place after the Rugby World Cup uh, whatever um, amendments are, are made to that rule I don't think Thomas Young or Owen Williams are going to benefit from them um, you know I say this with no inside knowledge on it, but you would hope that the amendments come in the form of ser- years of service to a region or regional appearances. Closing um, loopholes as well, like yeah, Rhys Carey. Yeah, as as such, you know, Thomas um, Thomas Young and, and Owen Williams are probably not going to benefit from those. So, as you rightly say, uh, if they sign a new contract in England, obviously Thomas Young at Wasps or Owen Williams at Gloucester, then they become ineligible to play for Wales. Um now, you may look at this and say they're two players who have not really figured uh, very often uh, for Wales in the last few years, and that's a fair comment. Uh, Owen Williams was, in my opinion, definitely a victim of playing in England. You know, he was repeatedly, whenever the topic came up, um, I think we're looking at about two years ago now, uh, when he was playing against the All Blacks in the autumn and things like that. Um, and Yeah, 2017, yeah, autumn internationals, wasn't it? And... And whenever it was coming up for the Six Nations, Gatlin would always say that he, you know, he's not available for the entire camp. He's not available to turn up when everybody else does. You know, he's a new, newish player in the squad. We need to see him as much as we possibly can, and that's not possible when he's in England. So we can't pick him. I, I was a strong believer that when his contract was up at Leicester a couple of years ago, he should have come back to Wales then, or Welsh rugby should have found a way to get him back into this system. Because if you look at the squad now, it's well documented that there's an issue at inside centre. Um, that's why Wayne Pivak was trying to look at Willis Halaholo um, in the Barbarians match just gone. Uh, Owen Williams would be, at his best, would be a perfect player to have as an option there. Um, now his move at Gloucester, you know, he went to Gloucester, then Danny Cipriani arrived. You know, he wasn't getting a lot of game time. Now he's had a lot of injuries as well. Really, that move has been a disaster for him in many ways. You know, I'm sure he's earning some good money from it, and he's playing with some good players, training with some good players. You know, in a good league and all the rest of it. But you know, he's wrecked his Wales chances, and he's not playing very often. Yeah. So my opinion remains that if Welsh rugby can bring him back at the end of this season, then they should. You know, he'd be perfect for the Dragons. Perfect for a team like the Dragons. Um, so I, you know, I understand the complications of making that move look attractive to certain players. But they managed it with Ross Moriarty. They may have paid, had to pay over the odds for him. You know, I don't know the ins and outs of how they got him there, but I would suggest that money had a lot to do with it. Um, but look, they've got the extra leverage of the Welsh jersey. You know, I'd suggest they get Wayne Pivak on the phone. You know, if he really thinks Owen Williams is an option, get Wayne Pivak on the phone to him. Say, look, if you come back. I'm going to take a look at you. If you don't, I can't. Um, and, and I genuinely think he he should give that some real thought because not only does, you know, he, he's not then fighting against somebody like Danny Cipriani for game time. He's probably better managed. Um, 
and the workload may not be as as strenuous as it is in the Gallagher Premiership. So, and of course, he keeps his Wales ambitions alive. So, I think if he comes back, he's got a genuine, genuine chance of really nailing down a spot in that Wales team if he can rediscover the form that he had a couple of years ago. But he's not very old, so he's got time no. on his side. I mean, obviously he hasn't featured a lot. I think um, our colleague Andy was speaking to Johan Ackerman a, a few weeks ago at the Champions Cup launch, and he's hoping he'd be back around Christmas time. If he did get, say, a decent run of games over Christmas into January... Would you, as Wayne Pivak, be tempted to bring him into the squad, given the lack of centre options we have, you know, and then on the proviso in camp, say, listen, you know, you have got a future with Wales if you can keep playing well, but come, come next year, mate, you're going to have to consider coming, well, you, not consider coming back to Wales, you're going to have to be playing in Wales. Yeah. Well, it depends how Wayne Pivak's... Just, dang, just sort of dangle the carrot a bit with the Wales squad. Yeah, I can see logic in that. I just, I mean... I don't think you can use the Six Nations as a tool to dangle yeah. carrots, you know. I think it's got to be done... You know, you pick your best Six Nations squad that you think is going to win the Six Nations, and it's all down to how Wayne Pivak wants to manage that midfield. You know, whether he, you know, are we going to see Josh Adams play? You know, this is a big thing. All of a sudden, are we going to see Josh Adams playing in the centre for the Blues between now and the Six Nations? Are we going to see Owen Lane doing it? You know, are, you know, are we going to see George North doing it for the Ospreys when he comes back? I don't know. You know, Scott Williams is also probably going to feature in that Six Nations. Um, squad, you would have thought, as long as his form doesn't take a dip. Um, so I would be wary of just calling him in for the sake of it. I, I would be surprised if he does, um, but so much depends on the form of, of the relevant parties, you know. And, you know, we're assuming that he's going to get a run of games for Gloucester, yeah. which, since the arrival of Danny Cipriani, has not been the case. Indeed, it's just we are so short of midfield options, aren't we? You know, you're looking at the Six Nations, we're looking at Parks, Watkin. Scott Williams, if he can get over the sort of fitness issues he's had, obviously he he worked so hard to to you know rush back for the World Cup. It now seems like we're probably seeing the after effects of how quickly he rushed back, aren't we? Well, I'd like to see. I, I got to be honest, I haven't seen a great deal of him for the Ospreys this year. Um, so I'd like to see him over the festive period and you know keep a close eye on him yeah. and see how he's going. Like I said, I thought he should have gone to the World Cup, notwithstanding his back problems. Um, so I understand why that decision was made, but on a you know, everyone playing their best scenario, I don't know what the stats tell me, but I know that my eyeballs tell me that he's one of the best centres we've got. So, you know, I, I would strongly um edge towards him being named in the squad. I know at the end of the day they managed at the World Cup with three centres. So yeah. can they manage five games over seven weeks? Probably. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um and then the other player He's probably coming back into a bit more of a competitive area. That's Thomas Young. Um, he's captain this year's Six Nations. Obviously, he's won caps before, but he, you know he got played against Italy. But you know the back row is is a very different area to compete. You know, it's not like centre, is it? No, exactly. I think that's the crux of it, really. Um, you know, if he was coming in to a position where Wales don't have a lot of strength, um, his case would be greatly enhanced. But you know the way you know we're not desperate. Wales are not desperate by any stretch of the imagination for back rowers and particularly open side flankers. Uh, you know, you see Wayne Pivak having a closer look at Ollie Griffiths recently, who hasn't really had a look in in the last two years under Gatland. And again, injuries have gotten his way there. So with Thomas Young, he's got a massive decision to make. I think you know he's been he's been left out in the cold for so long. Um, he's probably earning good money in England. He's obviously well thought of. You know he he plays well in a good you know in a, in a well he has played well in a good wasp side over the last few years. You know it 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 all comes down to how sort of disillusioned he is with it all, I guess. And so much will depend on uh, the conversations he has with Wayne Pivak. If Wayne Pivak you know even wants to have a look at him and bring him back, you would have thought that would be the case, but we we don't know. Um, and I suppose the other thing is that. <sighs> You know, they just agreed on a new funding model with the PRB. You know, we don't know how much money everybody's going to be getting either. So, you know, regions are going to have to cut their cloth accordingly. It's all well and good saying it'd be great for Thomas Young to come back, but which region does he fit into? You know, like I yeah. said, we're not we're not desperate for a number of back rowers, particularly open side flankers. Whereas with Owen Williams, 
you could look around the regions and quite quite easily find space for him. You know, at at the Dragons and even with um, Halaholart, you could make a case for the Blues going for him. My preference would be that they bring Ben Thomas through because I really like Ben Thomas. But you can definitely see space for him at the Dragons. But the, um, I'm talking about Owen Williams here. But Thomas Young, yeah. You look around the regions. Same with the Scarlets. Look around the regions. I don't know any any of them that are particularly desperate for an open side flanker. So you know, it'd be interesting to see where that left him in terms of this selection policy. Indeed, it will. Um, yeah, and then there's, there's 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 a few other. I guess there's a few other players who are sort of in England who at some point will have to consider. Their future, I know, in the, in the piece that our colleague Mark Orders did on these two players, he's mentioned a few. Dan Bigger doesn't really have to worry about it. Um, Thomas yeah. Francis, obviously, he's on a roll-on contract with extra. So <laughs> at some point, you'd assume he'd have to consider it, but then we don't know because he's probably got another contract well, extension yeah, I mean, to uh, keep him there. It's anyone's guess as to what's going on with uh, Thomas Francis's contract, and um, you know, all the best to him, I guess. If he, you know, if he, if he's I don't know the ins and outs of his contract, but yes, as you say, you would have thought there will come a, a time um, in the not-too-distant future when he will have to make similar decisions. Um, but for now, you know, as is often the argument, you know, you've got a guy playing in England who's playing in a in a quality league, learning from some of the best players in the world because he will still be learning. You, you know, you never, you never know it all. And um, whilst that's happening, you've got the likes of Dylan Lewis, who's playing, hopefully now going to be playing more regularly at, at the top level. Leon Brown, similarly, at the Dragons. You know, you've got all the other youngsters coming through yeah. who are playing regular rugby. So it works to a certain degree. But, you know, I, you know, I, I would still like to see the, the top, top Wales players coming back when they have to. But in Thomas Francis's case, if that doesn't have to happen in the too near future, that's not one that I'm particularly concerned about. Let's move on to another player who should maybe consider coming back to Wales, but not for the same reasons as the other two, because he's got 72 caps, and that's Toby Falatau, Tolupi Falatau rather. Mm. I mean, yeah, as I say, 72 caps. He has, he has no reason to come back to Wales other than the fact that, I mean, how often has he played for Wales in the last two years? Since 2018, you know, hasn't played since 2018, is he, for Wales? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's managing injuries for him, which is the concern. Well, it is, and you know, it's well well versed um, that you know he he didn't he didn't get many injuries at the Dragons, and he goes to Bath, and he seems to be breaking down a lot. Now that that might just be a coincidence, um, but uh, you know, at the same time, you know, you speak to players who have come back from playing in England, and they all speak about how much better they are managed because you bring Falatel back, for example. And there's like maybe a similar arrangement to what is going on with Alan Wynne Jones. You know, you start speaking about customized playing schedules and things like that, prolongs your career. Yep. Now, Bath are not going to want to be interested in any sort of customized playing schedule. You know, they pay a lot of money for Falatau and they'll play him as much as they feel like they want to. So, you know, in terms of prolonging careers, you know, it wouldn't surprise me either if if that contributes to the reason why a number of players have come back. You know, say, same goes for somebody like George North, who's yeah, got a hamstring just, just injury. Just about to mention moment. George North. You know, he, he will be managed far more carefully at the Ospreys than he would have been at Northampton. You know, they are afforded more time. You know, and, and whether that's right or wrong, you know, it was it was thrown to me the other day that Dan Bigger has gone straight back in at Northampton and, and played two blinders. Uh, on his first two games back, whilst the the rest of his Wales teammates, by and large, were were still on breaks. So there are pros and cons, but you know I think the fact of the matter is that he is getting more injured um, playing in that league than he was in Wales, and I think coming home would would perhaps they may be able to look at something then that would extend his career a little bit. Okay, um, I think that's that firmly put to bed. Uh... We'll hear from the man who wrote the piece, Mark Orders, and he'll be speaking about the Ospreys up next. I'm Sam Warburton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Okay, so now joined on the podcast by our writer in Swansea, Mark Orders. First of all, how are you doing, Mark? Yeah, not doing too badly at all, thanks, Ben. Good, good. 
Um, I mean, it's been a busy, busy few days, busy week, hasn't it for you? Oh, look, <laughs> every week is busy. Um, I've, uh, <laughs> I did start this show with a couple of days off, in fairness. And, um, yeah, use it to, to do some reading. So, um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's been better perhaps than it was last week, you know. Indeed, that was quite a week, wasn't it? Um, so let's talk about it because moving on from that last week, um, there is now a man who's been appointed only for a month on a sort of consultancy basis. That man is Mike Ruddock. He's back in Welsh rugby after 13 years. What, what do we make of that uh, move? I, I think I think it's a really good um, sort of move by the Ospreys. Um, you know, they've been widely criticised for, for sort of taking a number of, shall we say, false steps, um, you know, in some eyes. But I think Mike would be a, an excellent addition to their setup, even if it's just on a, a sort of a part-time or rather short-term basis. I, I just... I sort of, I can remember him from his time with Swansea and with Wales, and uh, he's he's a people person. Is Mike? He's got a lot of charisma about him, and he also knows what um, success looks like. He achieved a lot with Swansea, uh, turned them into arguably the best side in Wales, golden era, long time ago, um, for the club. And of course, he achieved his Grand Slam with Wales, and even even in, in Ireland, you know, he's been operating at perhaps a lower level there. He's still been achieving results. He is a, he is a coach who just knows how to get things done. Um, you know, he has been out in Welsh rugby for a long time, but I think he's someone that the players and other coaches at the Ospreys will enjoy having around. Um, as I say, we, we don't know for how long, but um, he, he is a, a nice guy and he, and he knows his stuff. Mark, in uh, in your opinion, uh, the, 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 will it be only announced as a one-month um, situation? Do, do you, how likely do you think it is and what do you think the deciding factors will be as to whether or not this continues uh, beyond one month? Because obviously... Uh, Mike's former club in, in Ireland lands down suggesting that this may have a view to a longer term plan so what do you think the deciding factors in whether or not Mike Ruddock stays on will be? Yeah I, I think at this point there's genuine uncertainty among the Ospreys and uh, you know Mike as well really as as to how long all this is, is going to go on I guess it depends on whether they prove a good match, whether Mike likes what he sees. I mean, he's in there as a, a consultant stroke uh, advisor uh, just to offer some what, what they, they term, uh, you know, advice and expertise and backup, etc. Um, and, and I guess, he, given his experience, he, 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 he could eventually sort of take over um, in some kind of, maybe director of rugby role, but I, I think the deciding factors will be um, how good the fit proves. Uh, whether or not uh, Mike likes what he sees at the Ospreys or whether the Ospreys feel Mike is a good match for them at this uh, stage of his career. Um, so, yeah, th- those would be... It's, it's pretty simple, really, and, you know, I have spoken to people there and... Um, and they tell me it's it's pretty much that, you know. It's just a, a suck it and see situation and um, just to see how things pan out. I mean, they've got a, a challenging sort of month ahead of them with the Racing Metro uh, over and away matches in the uh, Heineken Champions Cup. And then they've got the derbies as well. So it, it's it's not a an easy time for Mike to be coming in but as I say at the moment he's there very much in an advisory backup role and um, we'll basically just see how things pan out I think if um, if things don't pan out well and Mike Ruddock leaves um, at the start of next year Ospreys fans may well be looking around then at that point and saying well we've a month has gone by but we're no closer to finding out who is going to be in long-term charge of the region. If if this doesn't pan out as everybody hopes it might, 
what what happens then? What have the Ospreys gained from this, and what sort of mess does it leave them in, um, for lack of a better word, if they get to January and Mike Ruddock decides, or the Ospreys as well decide that it's not for them? Well, uh, as I just said, Kel, um, I, I think there's a fair chance that, that Mike. Uh, will be at the Ospreys in some capacity for the rest of the season. It's a fair chance of that. If it doesn't pan out, I mean, okay, you could argue they've they, they've lost a month, but a glass half full perspective might be that they've they've had the opportunity to sort of tap into to Ruddock's sort of expertise um, and really conduct an overview and see what's going right and what's going wrong at the region um, because they've had a really, really difficult start to the season. And it's not all about the uh, the coaches down there, uh, if at all, really. It's just the circumstances that they find themselves in or they found themselves in. It's made it really, really difficult in terms of the... Well, it's well documented in terms of all the injuries they've had, uh, all the wills, uh, calls that they've they've sort of suffered and he's just left them with this squad that's been hopelessly stretched hopelessly stretched I mean in last week for the game of the Cheetahs at the Knoll uh, they were missing 17 players and top line players as well and uh, you know that's not an excuse put out by the Ospreys basically that that's where that's where they're at and it's really really difficult for them so I mean at the end of the day they'll have an opportunity to uh, for a, a sort of a highly respected coach to sort of uh, give the region the once over and offer them some kind of advice and guidance and then it's really up to them as to whether they take it uh, Ruddock does know like I say knows what success is all about he's achieved it and he'll be in a position to comment on where the Ospreys uh, find themselves or what they've got to do to, um, to sort of get themselves out of this sort of uh, hole that they find themselves in at the moment. I'll say there that he knows success. Um, I saw a quote the other day, I think it was along the lines that Ruddock said he hadn't really been too familiar with the problems going on at the Ospreys because they don't really show the Ospreys games over in Ireland. Is there a concern maybe that having been out of the country really for about 13 years, he's not fully in touch with Welsh rugby? Well, he's not coming over here as head coach or anything. I mean, if he were coming over as head coach, I, I, I could see that might be an issue. But he's he's coming over here and um, he's just going to have a look uh, at what is going on at the Ospreys. No doubt he'll sort of... Uh, take into account the composition of their squad can that be sorted out how many transfer windows will it take to sort out in the meantime what have you got to do to um, to sort of get the, the team uh, playing to an acceptable level um, obviously you know, it would have been better if, he, if he'd been in touch with Welsh Rugby I, I don't think he's, he's coached a professional level for a number of years either but nonetheless there are certain lessons that are timeless and I think that he learned those a long time ago and um, I think that uh, I, I think he'd prove a decent acquisition for the Ospreys in the short term and uh, if he stays I, I, I think there's every chance that um, that it'll work for the Ospreys but um, let's see how the next month pans out Indeed um I suppose it feels this week's felt a bit more like normality after last week, which was, I suppose, pure chaos. Obviously, we had the news about Clark's departure come out on Tuesday. It was then not really an official announcement until Wednesday. And then we had the press conference on Friday, which you attended, uh, Matt. Mm. Just talk us through that, because that was some day, wasn't it? Yeah, it was... um it was yeah, it was an interesting day. Um, you know, I, the general perception afterwards from speaking to other journalists and stuff was, uh, where do we where do we sort of start with all that? It was um, it was almost one one news line after the next, and um, you know, I I think that um, there was a general sort of um, you know there, there seems to be an us against them mentality at the moment there um, in terms of os- ospreys against the world. Um, 
that sort of siege mentality can be beneficial at times. Um, but, you know, I think everybody who's seen the footage of that press conference or read the transcripts will have immediately picked out the um, the quote from Andrew Millwood um, with regards to the press. Um, and he wasn't impressed with the way, to use his word, that the press conference was hijacked at the Pro 14 launch when obviously Richie Pugh and James Hook were put up to face questions, uh, you know, about the uncertainty at the region. Um, now, anytime you you bill uh, as an organisation um, us against the media, and your fans take the side of the media, you know that you've made a mistake somewhere. Um, now, personally, I know Andrew Millwood is coming for a lot of criticism after that press conference. Every question I asked of him and Rob Davis. Uh, he looked straight down the barrel and answered it honestly. So on a personal level, I haven't got issue with the way that he answered any of my questions or any of the issues he addressed that I put to him or Rob Davis. But the thing where he had um, an issue with our colleague Gareth Rees-Owen at the BBC um, at that press conference, I think that was ill-advised uh, and I think it was misjudged and it's probably made the situation slightly worse. However... Um, disappointment of Mike Ruddock is a huge step in the right direction. Would you uh, concur with that, Mark? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'd endorse pretty much everything that, um, that Mark said there. It was, um, I mean, it, the, the press conference wasn't the Osprey's finest hour, and neither was the, the one two days earlier. I know uh, Robert Davis and um, Andrew Millward, and they are. You know, they are straight shooters, contrary to what a lot of people are sort of saying at the moment. Um, I what knows he's, he's, he's got a big job in his hands and ultimately everyone in sport is is, is judged uh, by results and by success. Whether, that, whether that's players, coaches, chief executives, reporters, you know, you, you, you write six or seven bad stories in a row and and people that you know about it. Um, <laughs> it, was, it last last week was 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 awful from a, a public relations point of view uh, for the Ospreys. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really up to them to sort of uh, take action to ensure that that never happens again. My understanding is that they have sort of they are looking or they have brought in someone to bolster their sort of uh, PR department. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, you know that that'll that'll help improve matters because uh, last week certainly won their finest hour. Absolutely, and just just a small matter there of Rassen, isn't it, on the weekend? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, it's it's again at, at this point we we don't know what kind of what kind of side the Ospreys will be able to field, and I mean that's that's a. That's an issue in its own right, really. That um, we're uh, we're sort of five weeks on, pushing five weeks on from the World Cup, really, and and, and they're still unable to field some of their best players, understandably in some cases. But um, really, really, is a challenge for all the Welsh regions, really. Um, you know, not to be able to access uh, their best players. Um, you know, for for such an extended period, I think in Swansea, if the Ospreys were able to uh, to feel their best side, I think Matt uh, Matt put together this week a sort of uh, 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 the best available sides or the best sides each region could field, and the Ospreys A team is, is quite formidable, and they would give any side in Wales, uh, if not the Pro uh, Pro 14 a game. Um, but the challenge is always to get these guys onto the pitch. You know, Alan Wynn Jones is on a customised playing regime. They're, they're rightly sort of trying to recharge Tipperick's batteries. And George North has been injured as well. And, and so it goes on. And Anscombe's a long-term casualty. Um, so it, it's uh, Rassi would be a difficult proposition under any circumstances. But they're in Swansea. And you, you, you'd want them to be competitive. Um but um, yeah, it's uh, it won't be an easy game for them. Just just quickly, any update on um, Marty McKenzie's arrival? Is it visa problems? Uh, oh, well, I I spoke with someone. No, well, I, I spoke with someone earlier, and you know they were uh, 
they gave me, I've got to say, they gave me a, a, a non-committal answer about whether he'd be uh, playing this weekend and uh, the the sort of suggestion was, oh, we, we, we'll see how it goes. We haven't made a call on it yet. Um, but look, they, they had to wait. It took them two to three months to sort out Sean Venter's visa problems. And um, these things happen and they are occupational hazards for uh, for sports people. I was speaking with uh, with uh, Jay Baker this week, the, the former Ospreys and Aberavon wing. And, uh, you know, he's in Australia and, and he was saying that he's had sort of visa problems uh, out there and, you know, various would-be suitors are trying to sort them out for him. So it, uh, I, I'm not sort of... Uh, totally up to speed on the precise details of the uh, issues uh, surrounding Marty McKenzie uh, but when he does play I think he'd be a, a useful acquisition he's a different player from his brother Damien who's more of a firecracker player I think Marty's a bit steadier um, and maybe at this point in time maybe maybe that's uh, that's what the Ospreys need Yeah just on that I noticed um, that we've had an email off um uh, EPCR saying that Marty McKenzie was was called into the Ospreys European squad replacing James King uh, this week. So yeah. possibly that that points towards him being almost ready. Um, I don't know, but they, they've called him into his European squad. He's registered anyway. Well, well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? And I I spoke with somebody uh, about an hour ago actually, and he didn't re- rule out the possibility or the prospect of. Uh, Marty McKenzie playing this weekend, but you know, ni- neither was he especially uh, clear on the matter. Um, <laughs> he said, "Oh, look, we, we'll just have to see how it goes, and we're not yet in a position to uh, to confirm either way what his position is." Um, yeah, so that's what it is. There we go. Then keep your eyes peeled. Um, cheers for joining us on the podcast, Mark. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week. All right, brilliant. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, man. Cheers, man. Cheers, mate. Right then, it's only a few weeks since the World Cup finished and already we've got Lions schedules coming out. It's never ending, is it? Doesn't stop, does it? Does uh, not stop. Does not stop, mate. Um, much to the frustration of uh, some some uh, Welsh rugby fans out there who would rather that it wasn't discussed uh, for at least another 12 months. But the fact of the matter is it's newsworthy. People like reading about it. And like you said, this, the schedule's out, so the countdown begins, whether people like it or not. Yep. Yeah, there were people doing Lions 15s a lot sooner than this. There were people doing them during the World Cup, so uh, oh, there you go. what can you do? But it's it's an interesting schedule because obviously the last four years since the, or the last two years rather, since the 2017 tour has been dominated by player welfare, discussions with prem, Premiership Rugby about moving games and how many weeks they'll tour for. The knock-on effect is that it's going to be uh, the same amount of weeks, six-week tour, but there'll be eight matches rather than ten. So only two midweek games, which is good for player welfare. For Warren Gatland, probably not ideal. Well, you say that. I mean, what what was apparent um, last time out was that I don't think they wanted to find themselves in that situation again, where you know you've got guys joining up. You know, basically shaking hands at the airport <laughs> as they fly out. Unfortunately, you will get that sort of thing again, but you're not going to have the same stress on your squad over that period of time. So, whilst you're still going to get that sort of that fixture that takes place like a week before a, they f- a, a the week. first game, yeah. So, whilst you'll still get that, you're not then going to be thrown straight into like a constant run of two games a week up until the first test because that places a huge amount of stress. Uh, on your playing squad, so you know, I think it's still. I think it, I, I'm not sure it, it's that much of a worry for Gatlin to be honest, because like you said, the, the tour is still the same length, so he still gets the same amount of training sessions, the same amount of time with the squad. They just have to play less games. Um, but I don't think I don't. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I, I think the fan li- misses out a lot because I would like you know it, it kind of feels like they're already beginning to take a step back and starting to diminish the Lions a little bit and I think that's what a lot of people have been fighting against for the last few years you know people 
you know, I don't think anyone can question the the relevance of the British and Irish Lions in the modern game anymore. I think the fact that they've become competitive again, i.e., winning in Australia, drawing in New Zealand, and just the general atmosphere and just how much the world, the rugby world, brought into those tours, sort of re-established the Lions as you know a here to stay yeah. brand and so on and so forth. Um, but I just think that the schedule of that New Zealand tour really made it tough for them. So I think less games is actually going to help Warren Gatland rather than hinder him because um, it gives him more time on the field and places less stress on, on the training field, sorry. Yeah. Place, places less of a stress on the squad. I did see an interesting point, though, that somebody mentioned that, you know, the um, the midweek guys, as, as they're normally known, probably not going to have that name because there's only two midweek games on this trip, are probably going to play a lot at the start of the tour but then won't feature much at the That's end. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, are you surprised that there's no midweek game between, say, the, the first and second test? Well, we, we know, you, know, you normally have a midweek game during the test because that is when the dirt trackers are sort of kicking their heels a bit. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but I, I always thought that game was the worst of the midweek games. I just didn't see the point in it. Yeah. You know, like... Um, and obviously... In, 20, in 2017... Lee Halfpenny got injured and George North got injured. Yeah, and I suppose in the last two tours, it's mainly been played by specific replacements for that. So 2013, they called in Christian Wade, uh, Brad Barrett, Shane Williams, who was pretty much retired at that point, was retired at that point, just to sort of fill the spaces for that game. I think last time round, Finn Russell would have played um, Alan Dell. And had 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 you know the geography the geography six were there on the bench the Welsh boys didn't get on probably for political reasons more than anything but they would have been involved exactly and such was the stress placed on that squad Warren Gatlin had to call those players up and yeah. you know we all know the the chaos that kicked off after that and I don't think the Lions would have been too keen on having that scenario again uh, but like I said more to the point I think and I still think that Liam. Uh, Lee Halfpenny and George North would have had a chance of featuring in that second test, and I've had people tell me that as well that that there was a, that that was on the table. Um, they weren't as far away um, from that test team as a lot of people thought. Yeah, they both got injured against uh, um, against the Hurricanes. North North's chances probably ended before he got injured, didn't he? Because he had to he had to switch to inside centre, which really well, which really sort of. I'm not. Which I'm. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm not, not, saying, not knocking him, but that, saying, re- that really hurt his chances, didn't it? When uh, when there was a first injury in centre, and he had to switch to centre because well, he started well on the wing in that game. Based on what I've heard since that, he wasn't a million miles away from that second test. So, you know, he got injured. That was the end of his Lions. Yeah. So I, I've always had a, a little bit of an issue with that midweek game anyway but back to the original point the main thing about it for me is trying to keep those midweek guys interested for the entire trip so it kind of relates to the same point but you know after after you play the first two midweek matches you're probably going to start to see a test team emerge very quickly um, and then the midweek guys are just there holding tackle bags for the for the week or so or the two weeks running up to the first test and then they're going to be doing exactly the same thing for throughout the three tests so you're going to have you know like a good chunk of time where you're going to have a, a large selection of players not particularly active in matches so keeping those guys yeah. interested and keeping the environment right and the mood and the morale and all that sort of thing right is going to be tough Obviously, that was the problem in 2005, wasn't it? Which, I mean, if you ever want to look at how Lions tours can go badly wrong, you just look at 2005 because the test team and, and the dirt trackers were, were literally separate teams with different coaching staff. Clive Woodward made them so separate that there was just no, like, in between. Yeah. But um, saying, saying about that, obviously, the, the test team is going to emerge fairly early on in the tour, which, to be fair, it, it, it naturally does. Do we then maybe think that Gatlin names a slightly smaller squad just so you have less lads sort of kicking their heels towards the end of the tour? Or I suppose with player welfare, you can't afford to, can you? Yeah, I'm not sure you'll pick a smaller squad, to be honest. I think you're better off having as, as much as you can feel you can manage, really. And, and I mean that more in terms of medical staff and strength and conditioning staff and, and when does... When does a training session become unmanageable with too many players in? You know, 
So I, I think you just pick the number that you feel most comfortable with for that trip. I, I don't necessarily think it'll be less. You know, I've seen seen some reports today that they're gonna still going to try and organise a pre-game match um, on the same weekend as the Premiership final before they go. Um, uh, so would Cardiff be in contention for that then, considering well, it would have, have been thought, a Twitter, so. yeah. You would have thought Cardiff would be in the mix. Um, but similarly... Murrayfield and uh, the Aviva Stadium would also stake a claim to that as well, wouldn't they? So you don't know. Um, but yeah, back to your original point, I don't think he'll go particularly less than he normally does because I think the more numbers you have out there, the better, really. Um, just to help with, you know, if somebody gets injured, I know it's not a long flight, but it's still not ideal yeah. to fly somebody out there. That's the main one. So I think you take as many as you feel you can manage. It's just getting the right tourist, isn't it? The, the, the guys who can maybe not look like they're going to be in test contention early on and still be a good tourist who can, you know, drive on the other boys yeah, for I mean, a watching brief. You know, Gatlin's the ultimate man manager and this is going to put his his skills to the ultimate test um, in that regard. You know, there's a couple of ways you can handle it. One way would be to go down the Clive Woodward route and just say, look, this is my test team as it stands. You know, you've got two weeks to to change my mind before we start you know nailing down combinations and preparing for the spring box but you know that's a that's a dangerous game isn't it but yeah. as you said naturally I think everybody begins to understand where they stand quite quickly on these trips yeah I think thankfully Gatlin was sort of introduced to the Lions through Ian McGeehan rather than Clive Woodward <laughs> yeah. so I think he's got a better understanding of what makes a good tourist than yeah. Um, well, he's also done it a few times now as well, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah, it, it's the per, you know he's, he is he understands the Lions, doesn't he? Coming through 2009 under McGeehan and then doing two on his own, he knows the drill. The mm. other thing, which is quite good, is that if you look at the the eight games, they build up quite nicely to the altitude mm. of the tests, which is I, I think Gatland would be thrilled with. Yeah, well, I think yeah, he's, he's probably had a, a very. Um you know, a, a massive input into that. To be honest, I, you know, th- I think he was very hands-on with the with the schedule. Um, you know, altitude is a factor, and building up to it, I think they've they've played a blinder in in getting that signed off. Um, I think it gives them the best chance of success in the test series. Um, interestingly, though, one thing to um, to to sort of point out, I saw a Brendan Nell, a South African journalist, raising the point uh, on social media that there is a there's a there appears to be a bit of a fear in South Africa that um, it's becoming more and more like a business decision, these things. Um, I think I'm right in saying that there's two test matches in the same place, in the same city. Um, I'd have to check yeah. that. Um, but it, he said it just sort of speaks to the fact that it, it seems to be becoming uh, more and more like a business um, decision. Yeah, there's two test matches in Johannesburg um, and one in Cape Town. Yeah. And on on the back of that there's there's fears over the ticket prices and there's fears that those ticket prices will will price out your average South African rugby fan and will be tailored more towards your travelling British and Irish Lions fans who typically are prepared to spend a lot more money yeah and uh, travelling numbers they travel in numbers they will save up for this for for you from from last well from the last tour you know they're not cheap yeah i know but it, it doesn't matter you know they will pay more for tickets um, so you know, don't be surprised if we see an occasion, and um, Brendan was tweeting this, whereby in the test matches there are more Lions fans there than South African fans. Yeah, it was the same situation in New Zealand, wasn't it? You had Eden Park, then down to Wellington, then back to Eden Park, where normally if you play a, a, a three-test tour in New Zealand, obviously they're hampered that Christchurch doesn't have a a, 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 a decent a test rugby standard stadium anymore but you, you might play in the Forsyth Bar in Dunedin mm. but because it was the Lions they went to at Eden Park which just shows you they know that they need the, the high capacity stadiums every week there well they're not going to struggle to sell out stadiums are they? Exactly. so you know they will milk it for all they can um, but I just thought it was interesting to see you know that the, the British Lions fans may outnumber the uh, South African fans and you know in, in many ways, it would be great for Warren Gatlin's side if that were the case, but there's something a little bit sad about that, really, isn't there? You know, you, you go into South Africa, you expect hostility and, you know, backs against the walls and, you know, nobody, you know, there's yeah. watching that Lions 20, 2009 documentary, you know, nobody rates us, nobody likes us. 
you know, something quite nice about that, isn't it? In a way, from a British Lives Lines point of view. So it's a bit, it's a bit different to like 2001 at the Gabba, the Sea of Red, because you can't imagine that anyone there would have been priced out of tickets. Mm. The home fans probably wouldn't have been priced out of tickets by the away fans there. If it's if it is the case that South African fans are being priced out of tickets for Lions fans, then yeah, it doesn't really sit that well, does it? Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting to, to get the South African uh, view on that. Indeed. Um, final thing we'll touch upon is the regions are in European action this weekend. They are. It's back after one only one weekend. This this is the the joys of a truncated season, isn't it? It's yeah, it's, one weekend um, off. Yeah, it places like you know. Similar conversation to the Lions, really. You know, the squads, regional squads, are under massive amounts of pressure um, right now. And, you know, there's a debate to be had over whether the players in Wales are being managed too carefully. Um, I don't think they are. Uh, Personally, I think they're going about it the right way. I can understand the frustrations of regional rugby fans. I've said that consistently over the last fortnight or so in light of this Barbarians game, but... You know, at least they're starting to see their their players return now. Uh, Welsh internationals. I look forward to the Christmas derbies in particular, when we should have pretty much everyone back um, who's not a long term injury. Um, but even still, uh, the regions are, are up against it, as we've discussed yeah. already, particularly the Ospreys. So we've touched on the Ospreys, and they're not going to have boys like Alan Wynn and George North back until a bit later in December, are they? Mm. Um, so yeah, we'll go go to the Challenge Cup. Um, Cardiff Blues are hosting Poe and they're without two Wales boys uh, Seb Davis Dylan Lewis both been ruled out after picking up injuries against the Barbarians um, both probably would have featured in this game they, they, they yeah. probably wouldn't have been carefully as, ma- as carefully managed as some of the other no, I big Wales internationals well certainly Seb Davis would have been playing yeah um, I mean if Josh, Josh Adams is starting this weekend so yeah well you would have Dylan thought Lewis Dylan and Lewis and Seb would Lewis would yeah um, you know it's not the end of the world I don't know what the situation is with Dimitri Ahir but I speak to somebody at the Blues who was hope he was on the way back uh, that would be a big bonus because they you know the front row is a bit of a problem area at the moment for the Blues they've obviously signed Filo Paolo who um, is going to come in and will be in the second row I'd imagine in yeah. place of Seb Davis so you know, they're covered there but I think front row is probably more of an issue now if the front five can get on a level playing field though that back line despite the loss of Willis Halaholo, um, is a very dangerous one. You know, there's absolutely, there's probably too much talent in the back three now. They don't know what to do with it all. Yeah, That's the trouble. It's yet to fully click, isn't it, this this back line so far this well, season? it is, but it's yet to also be on the field at the same yeah. time. So, you know, we live in hope um, from a Cardiff Blues point of view, but, you know, there are a lot of weapons at wide. They've beaten Poe in the past in this competition, and there's every reason to be confident, assuming they can get on a level playing field up front. Absolutely. Um, Scarlets. Bayon. Bayon away. Never easy, really, is it, going on the no. road in Europe? I um, mean, the, the the last European away fixture was a brilliant effort. You know, too, go, long. too long going down, losing bonus point, despite a red card. Probably could have and should have won that match. They, they probably didn't put it away in the in the last 10 minutes like maybe they well, they could have. I think, I think the odd decision was made that was a bit poor, but then... But I watched that. It was, it was I covered, last eighty-eight minutes. You know, I covered that game, and and I think they, you know, they, they there'll always be a sense of um, one that got away there. Really, like you said, they were down to fourteen men, worked incredibly well in the second half to get into a six-point lead. Dan Jones uh, was playing well um, when he came on, and um, you know, Toulon just outmuscled them in the last. You know, like you said, the game went into the 89th minute. Conversion in the 90th minute went in off the post, and uh, they lose by a point. You know, that's always going to hurt. You know, I got to be honest. I don't think the officiating was great, and I felt like you know the Scarlets were on the back foot in the scrums that were being reset in the final few minutes there. But you know, it will feel like one that's got away. Um, but they can take confidence from that going back to France. Um, you know, we don't know what sort of Wales internationals they might have back with them. But again, you know, Bayonne are not particularly great shakes are they you know it's going to be difficult always is going to places like that but every reason to believe that the Scarlets can go there and get a result absolutely yeah you know three three away games in a row which is such a tough thing at this stage of the season Toulon was really positive Ulster the less said about that the better they'll be hoping now they can bookend it with a promising performance against Bayonne because if they come out of these two games with 
good results, you know, they, they should be looking to qualify from this pool. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the Scarlets are a region when they get their full strength back are a side that should be looking to win the whole thing. Yeah. Um, you know, let's not make no bones about it. And like you said, the, the less said about the Ulster performance, the better. But, you know, I've no doubt with the coaches they've got in place down there and the players that they've got that they, we won't see a repeat of that. No. Um, and then finally, the Dragons. They're heading to six ways to face uh, Worcester. It's been a nice little start for them in Challenge Cup, considering that pretty sure they Dean Ryan has insisted that they're, they're paying no sort of attention to it because the Pro 14's the uh, the focus yeah that's been a good start you know I mean you know similarly uh, they were poor on the weekend as well obviously Wales stars away all the rest of it but you don't expect to get beaten yeah. by Zebra like that uh, but Dean Ryan going back to one of his former clubs uh, is going to be looking to get a result uh, it will be a uh, another one that's going to be a big test not not overly confident that the Dragons can get a result there. Like to see them a bit more competitive than they were against Zebra. And, um, you know, it's been a brilliant start to the season for them, relatively speaking, compared to, you know, what the region went through under Bernard Jackman and that sort of transitional period. They seem to be coming out of that out of that now um, under Dean Ryan. A lot of good vibes. Everything. Every time I speak to somebody about the Dragons, you know, there's always some good positive vibes um, about the environment and the culture that's being created down there. You know, Sam Davis wasn't great for Wales when he came on. Always difficult, obviously, um, having been out of the setup for a while. Hopefully, from a Dragons' point of view, he can go back there and slot back in and just rediscover the form that he had and pick up where he left off. Um, if they can do that, um, they've got a chance of being competitive against Worcester. But um, I think I'm right in saying Worcester are going quite well in the league this year. Um, obviously, doing all right. So, you know, that's not going to be an easy task for them. But as you said, I suppose it depends on how seriously either side takes the tournament. That's the thing. That's that's the thing with the Challenge Cup is you never really know which sides are going to take it seriously, which sides aren't. So you end up with some rather interesting results. So maybe we'll see some more this weekend. Hopefully, indeed, uh, we'll be back next week. I think we got something slightly special planned next week. Uh, we'll let you know more about that closer to the time. But until then, you can catch everything on Wales Online. <laughs>